today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Children in care are amongst the most vulnerable in the state and concerns are growing over how some children end up in what is termed special emergency arrangements. These are often court-ordered placements. They're required as a place of safety for a young person. They are unregulated spaces, sometimes apartments, hotels or B&Bs and often the young person needing the place has many complex needs. Well, our reporter Brian O'Connell has received new figures which show just how much the state is spending on these unregulated spaces, how many children are involved and why there are growing calls for this type of provision to end. TUSLA CEO Kate Duggan is here in the studio and will respond to what we're about to hear now in Brian's report. But first to yourself, Brian, will you outline why a child might need special emergency care? Yes, good morning, Claire. We have different types of settings for children in care. So generally, uh, a relative or foster care would be the majority of kinds of placements. We also have residential care which can include for example <coughs> mental health units disability units rehab units all of these would be regulated where a shortfall in capacity means a regulated emergency placement or a placement in a community voluntary a statutory uh, a service for example foster care residential care where that is not available a special emergency arrangement is needed now while TUSLA say they carry out audits these are essentially unregulated placements mostly as you said in rented accommodation apartments and houses. Staffing is provided by third parties. However, hotels and B&Bs may also be used only when uh, some types of accommodation are not available. Young people would have a social worker, but essentially there is very little oversight of what's happening inside these settings and that is where there is growing concern now. Last year, figures provided to me show 255 young people from community services were placed in these arrangements at some point and then figures that were provided to me uh, up to the end of the 11th of February show, we currently have 62 young people from community services and 115 separated children who would be seeking international protection. They have been placed in SEAs as they're termed. We're going to get to the costs involved, Brian. You've been seen some recent figures on that too I know but several stakeholders are sounding the alarm bells about this type of placement. We'll get to the cost because they are very significant. Now I've been speaking to a number of key stakeholders about this issue and they all have concerns around safety. Last year for example the Child Law Project, they felt the need to highlight this as an area of concern in their reporting. Uh, the Child Law Project would attend childcare proceedings, they publish a report twice a year. What they say is that there's increasing concern, so much so that actually courts are having in some instances to get more and more involved in almost managing the placement once they've made an order. This is what Dr Maria Corbett, who's Child Law Project CEO, had to say. We've been reporting for 11 years. So a pattern of seeing young primary school age children entering residential care is is something new that we're seeing. Um, We're also seeing um, older children who are in residential care, but they're having a high number of placements in a short period of time. So the children are effectively bouncing around from placement to placement. But if you're seeing children in emergency placements and numerous emergency placements, there is a sense there that things are very unsettled for the child, very unstable. Um, And some of these children, in the examples that we've had, um, they would be described as um, having high number of needs. In July 2023, we published a letter that was issued by uh, the district sitting district court judge, Judge Sims, who's since retired. He um, wrote 
who a series a number of ministers and a number of officials expressing his concern around uh, the care system and also the use of unregistered uh, placements. So they're often referred to as special emergency arrangements. So it's outside of the inspection regime. It's not being expected against the national standards. So it's in a different category. It's a very difficult role for judiciary because you know, judges aren't social workers. Well, what we're seeing is an, an increased um, discussion in the courts around the quality of the care placement and the ability of the state to meet the needs of children who are in care. So clearly the courts have concerns around this as well, Brian, and they're often left in a, a very difficult position. Now, we touched on costs earlier. You have a breakdown of just how much the state is paying for these un- unregulated settings. Because the question arises if settings aren't suitable and not meeting the needs of children. Well, why is the state paying significant amounts to provide these special emergency arrangements and should it continue? Figures I received from Tusla show we're spending massive amounts on, of money on these arrangements. In 2023, Tusla tell me they spent just over 71 million euro on special emergency arrangements. Uh, the cost is difficult to break down per per average per young person because it obviously depends on location and the type of accommodation. Um, Pader Tobin, uh, who's TD for Mead uh, West, he's leader of AIM2 as well. He has been asking Tusla questions about this and he raised it actually last week in the Dáil Chamber and he says he has growing concerns at the increase in SEAs. We have serious concerns. First of all, we understand that Tusla is under phenomenal pressure at the moment. But we understand that Tusla is starting to lean on uh, special emergency arrangements more and more. The latest figures we have is that it's likely that there are more than 200 children currently in these special uh, emergency arrangements. Um, We understand that they are unregulated, that some of the staff involved are unvetted. um, And this is astounding. The state is in local parentes. Uh, for these children and children are going missing uh, from those locations at the moment. But there's obviously uh, obviously a major human cost here, and that's the most important element uh, of this. But there's a financial cost too, and, and the figures are astounding uh, in terms of the, the, the level of spend by the state on these special uh, emergency arrangements. Um, you know, tens of thousands of euros being spent by the state on each individual a child on a monthly basis to provide that accommodation. Foremost, we need to make sure that the state starts to provide residential accommodation itself, um, but also that we need to um, come to an arrangement with the private providers and the voluntary sector so that they can actually get more uh, units into the system. And there's their provision is far more regulated, it's vetted, and it's less expensive to the state than these special uh, emergency arrangements. That's the AIM2 leader, Pather Tobin, there. And as I mentioned at the start, the TUSA CEO, Kate Duggan, is here with me in the studio and listening to all of that. We'll speak to Kate shortly, but this is an issue, uh, Brian, that has been dealt with by the Children's Ombudsman office and they have concerns about all of this too. Yes and in response just to say Tusla acknowledged efforts are made to move young people out of these arrangements to regulated settings as soon as possible. There is unprecedented demand because of for example the war in Ukraine, increased global movement challenges in the property market and and workforce challenges as well are all having a big uh, factor in this. Notwithstanding all of that I did, um, I put some of these issues to the Children's Ombudsman and spoke with Nuala War. Director of Investigations in the Ombudsman for Children's Office. The reason that we are so concerned about the quality of services that children receive in Ireland is because we cannot forget 
the history, the dark history that Ireland has in terms of caring for children that we have removed from their families. So we are standing on the shoulders of those survivors. In relation to special care, I'm sure everyone may know, but special care is when a child is detained for welfare reasons. Now, as you can appreciate, that's an extraordinary step and it can only be made by the order of the High Court and yet there is no placement for them. And yet these are the very children who are then placed in hotels, B&Bs with unknown agency staff and being looked after in the least secure, least supportive environment. So that's why we are concerned not only about the lack and insufficient uh, places of special care, but the subsequent impact of these special emergency placements becoming in any way a normal part of our provision of care. These cases have come to us through parents who are really worried about their children. And they're worried about their children because a lot of them are teenagers and they just so happen to be maybe just hitting a chaotic time in their life. But they're not getting the stable, secure placement that they need. So what have you been calling for? Is services need to work together for these children. This is not a TUSLA-only problem. So that's first and foremost much better interagency cooperation. On a legislative basis, we have called for the C special emergency placements should not be allowed that they should not be permitted. This is what has happened in the UK because of these children are getting sexually and criminally exploited because they are in secure settings without adults caring for them properly. So we have said cease and desist. They should never be placed in any unregulated setting. If you look at the Ryan report in relation to institutional abuse of children, they went even further because those children in those institutions, they lost their communities, they lost their networks, they lost their siblings. So children in care should be placed in safe, secure settings with trained, qualified staff and in their communities, near their networks, near their families. So that's what we've called for the government to legislate for that in the best interest of these children. So that's Nuala Ward there in the Children's Ombudsman's Office uh, ending Brian O'Connell's report. Kate Duggan, CEO of Tusla there, is here with me. Nuala Ward there was uh, using the example of what's happened in the UK where they know there has been sexual exploitation of these children and they're at high risk. We know it's happening here too. I mean, HICWA told you, as was reported in the Irish Times this month, that children faced a significant risk of being harmed at a Tusla-operated residential centre, incidences of bullying and assault in the facility. Why are you putting vulnerable children in this position? I think, first of all, uh, Claire, to say that I think Brian set out, you know, very well and very fairly just the challenges that the agency are facing at the moment in terms of just unprecedented demand. And, you know, last year we had 91,000 referrals to the agency. We've almost 6,000 children either in care or being accommodated, um, you know, under the care of the state, particularly in relation to separated children seeking international protection. And out of that number of 6,000, certainly um, last Sunday night, we had 61 of our mainstream children in a special emergency arrangement and we had 115 of our separated children seeking international protection in that arrangement. Out of that uh, total number, one of those young people were in a hotel. The other young people were young people where there was a requirement to provide an immediate place of safety whether it was because five or six young people came to our offices from the International Protection Office on a particular day, whether it was that a sibling group, as in one case, was taken into care last week. And we had to find an immediate place of safety. And when we look to the past, as was referred to in the report, 
In the past, often those children were taken to a Garda station, they were taken to a hospital as part of a social admission where appropriate mm. placement couldn't be Is found. Is this any better? Like, are the staff there vetted? Do you know what's going on in these places? Yeah, so just to say and, and, and to give some level of uh, assurance, we've seen over the last 18 months this significant increase in demand and a significant increase in usage in that we have seen, as I said now, up on kind of 61 mainstream but, but 115 special emergency arrangements And in recognising that, we've put, I suppose, very robust systems in place in terms of the approval of these placements, which are, for the main part, apartments, leased buildings. We've put in place... Who's staffing them? Do you know who's staffing them? Absolutely. Are they vetted? Absolutely. Because Pather Tobin says they're not vetted. You're saying he is wrong. They are vetted. Yeah, so I'm saying in terms of the systems of oversight that we've in place, if I maybe point out two of those systems, the first is where we now hold a central database of any staff member who is rostered to work in a special emergency arrangement. We've taken that on in TUSLA as a responsibility in terms of checking that vetting, validating vetting and qualifications and our own internal service marketing team. yourselves, that, that's not under the, that. under the normal system where people would be Garda vetted, is it? We hold the, the evidence of their vetting. Okay, so the they, individual are, they agency, are employed by private companies. So they're, they're employed by a private company who's responsible for the verification of their qualifications and their Garda vetting. There's a lot of but trust going on there, that. You know, there's a lot of trust happening there. And that would I, be the same, Claire, when we use a community and voluntary sector to provide a service on our behalf, when we use a mainstream private residential mm-hmm. uh, provider to provide a service on our behalf. We first of all set out the obligations they have in terms of child safeguarding, in terms of uh, vetting, in terms of qualifications of staff. We get copies of that and we audit that. The same thing is happening within the special emergency arrangements. What is different about these arrangements is they are not inspected or registered by HICWA. Um, but what you're, we you're are... Au- you're auditing them yourself. Our own internal auditing team would do spot checks and audits of these arrangements How all often? of the time. Depending, I mean, we have a hierarchy. So every every child in the arrangement is has an allocated social worker. That social worker meets that child once or twice a week in the arrangement. They have access to advocacy services. They have staff on site 24 hours a day. What happens when they go missing, when they don't come back at night? Okay, and and just to say, in terms of missing children in care, that is not a phenomenon that we're seeing in special emergency arrangements. So if it we doesn't look, happen. We have, so as of last night, because I did get the update information, as of last night, there were 24 young people reported missing in care within Tusla. Uh, One of those was from a special emergency arrangement and that individual has just gone missing over the last number of days. And I think what's important to say is that when a young person goes missing in our mainstream services, what we see is that within a couple of days or within a week, they return to that placement. Very often they, so, so when any young person comes into care, I think it's important to say because of the trauma they've experienced, because they've been taken from a family home, they've been maybe taken from the network of supports and placed in residential care, in foster care, in a special emergency I, I, I arrangement. To, I really want to focus on these. And, and going mm. back to the staff, you've said to me that you keep a central register of these staff. Mm. But how confident are you that they're trained properly to deal with these very difficult cases? What we're doing, Claire, at the moment is setting out with these providers the qualifications that the staff have to have, 
the training that they have to have in relation to children's first, in relation to child safety, in relation to sexual uh, child, children's sexual exploitation, the training requirements and working with those organisations and agencies the same as we would in relation to commission services or in relation mm. to private services that we contract. But if, if would we recognise... But there are staff working with these children now who don't have that training. I can't say that now. I, 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 what I can say is that any service provider... But if you don't know, you're giving me the answer. No, every service provider that we engage for the provision of special emergency arrangements understands what we require in relation to the supervision of those children within our care. But that's not Where regulated. It comes, it's not regulated. It's so, not regulated yes, by so, so you So there are people working with children in these special emergency arrangements who don't have the qualifications that they would have if they were working for a HICWA regulated But facility. right now... There would be no staff member on a roster working with the child where we're not assured that we've seen evidence that they have the qualification and the training that we look for. So you're saying that they're all trained because the private provider has told you that. The private it's, provider has Do you, do you see what I'm saying? But, for but many I think, people listening to this, when they know what these children are coming mm-hmm, from and the special mm-hmm, problems that they're mm-hmm. dealing with, that's just not good enough. But Claire, the private provider has not just told us, the private provider has had to submit evidence of that into our compliance unit. Mm-hmm. But you're saying to me a moment ago that you're working with the private providers mm-hmm. to make sure yeah. that they're up to a standard. So either it's, you it's, have that assurance from them and you're confident that the staff are trained properly or you're working with them to get to a point where you're confident So I think there's two things Claire. We would have mandatory training that we expect for all staff that work with children in any of the services that we provide. As we we referenced there in relation to sexual exploitation, we referenced in relation to children missing in care. We would go through a continuous cycle of training, new training, new types of training that we would ask staff in any of the services that provide service on our behalf that their staff undertake. But what we do have is basic standard of training and basic qualifications that we require for any staff member that is working with children on our behalf. And those providers have to provide evidence of that into our compliance unit so that we can check it and we can validate it. Where we see any difficulty with that, where we have any concern that that provider does not have staff trained to that level, we do not use that staff member on a particular Mm. roster or we do not use that provider. So I think it's important to say this year, we've stopped engaging with providers where we have felt that they have not met the standard that we require in relation to caring for these young people. Right, so you've identified problems and you've stopped working with those companies because it is likely that these arrangements will continue because in March of last year, you asked that legislation be passed to allow these companies to provide residential care without having to meet certain registration requirements. And the department came back to you and said, no, because that means you'll be putting children in these places for up to three months and they would be at risk because there's lack of oversight. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, there's, there's two things in that. I think the first thing to say, Claire, is what we absolutely recognise, and particularly in the context of the increase in global movement, and based on all of the data that we see in terms of government data and our own local data, we absolutely acknowledge that that is going to continue. We don't forecast that that is going to reduce in terms of the demand for services. So in looking at that, we now recognise there is a new type of placement that is required for children who come into the care or accommodated by TUSLA. If we look within the, the 61 children, for example, that were in a special emergency arrangement, you know, 
Almost half of those children had never been in care before. Almost half of them came from a breakdown in home and the other half came from a breakdown in a foster care or residential centre. And what we're seeing and the reason these placements are so expensive is that very often these children, because of the complexity of their need, of the trauma yeah. that they've endured, you put find them in a B&B very, or an apartment. No, no see, we don't put them in a see, B&B See, I think care. everybody accepts that you're under severe pressure. Yeah. Everybody understands that. Yeah. It's why the most vulnerable children are being pro- put into these privately run companies that are not subject to a proper auditing so system. So I think there's two things. I think first of all, many of these young people where there has been a breakdown in placement what what we're seeing is they're actually I suppose, responding much better in a single occupancy placement where they are living, you know, on their own in a placement, not having to share with the family or share with other young people who are in the care system. So there's a recognition that there is a new type of emergency provision that is needed. And I think Nuala Ward's point is very, very important in relation to what the Ombudsman has found and what the Ombudsman is advocating for. For many of these young people, there is a complexity in their need in relation to the underlying needs that they might have and what we are absolutely advocating for and, and really welcome this week the Minister's announcement of a new interagency group uh, that are going to prioritise an interagency response to children who are in the care of the state. Mm. Are they because safe? Are they safe? I'm assured at this stage that like any child in a residential centre in a foster care, these young people have a social worker. These young people have a care plan. These young people are being supervised 24 hours a day. These young people have access to advocacy. These young people have access to a 24-hour helpline that is manned by Tusla in relation to any concerns they have. But we also recognise that where there are young people who are presenting with, you know, very complex needs, that we need to be more vigilant in terms of the type of wraparound supports and advocacy that we give them. And we are putting that and have put that in place. So do you, is your ambition to extend these arrangements or to change what you're offering to these children? Our ambition is to regularise. What we want is a new type of emergency arrangement. We want to invest. And I think it's really important because, again, it was raised in Brian's report around engaging with community and voluntary and private service to see can they scale up their services. And and we got, with the support of the Minister and the Department this year, an extra 15 million euros to help the community and voluntary and private providers scale up capacity to provide a different type of service, a different type of single occupancy service for young people who are more vulnerable, who are more complex, who because of the concerns that they have, you know, don't live well in a foster care arrangement or maybe in another residential okay. placement. Right. We'll leave it there, but thank you very much for coming in. Thanks, That's Kate Kev. Duggan, who's the CEO of Tusla. Back after this break. Text 51551 Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.